Thank you for listening to the Sharon Church Podcast. If you'd like to know more about the church, please visit us at SharonChurch.com. Now we hope you learn from and enjoy today's message. Go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 5 this morning. Ephesians chapter 5. Two more weeks left in our study of the book of Ephesians. So this is week number 12, I think. Next week could be 13. Well done. We've done it, guys. We're so close. We are so close to wrapping this up. We'll finish it next week. And then after that, we begin our Christmas series. We're calling it the Advent of Christ. We're going to do just an old school liturgical study on the Advent and the second, the coming of Christ, his coming, his dawning, his arrival. And then the end of December, we will study his second coming for a week as well. Um, so I'm going to encourage you to be a part of that. Last week, Daryl taught, and Daryl did an amazing job teaching us through Ephesians chapter 5. What I love about the body of Christ, there's so many different varying kinds of gifts. And there, um, God puts us in places where the message that Daryl delivered last week, I could have never delivered. Uh, because I don't, I don't have the tone, I don't have just the heart, I don't have the experience that Daryl has. What a gift it is for us to have men um, like him leading us, leading our church, leading us, following him. Just an incredible job last week talking about what, what do we trust? What do we put our trust in? Before we can talk about obedience, what is it that we trust and do we trust the Lord? Just an incredible job last week from Daryl. I wanna praise him for that and thank the Lord um, for, for Daryl. So Ephesians chapter five, we're gonna back up a little bit. We're gonna start at 15, then we're gonna continue through chapter six this morning all the way through verse nine. So it's a lot to cover. Um, so I'm gonna need to break it up into parts. So if you take notes, this would be a good week to do that, just to, to try to parse some things out. There's not gonna be a whole lot on the screen except for scripture. And then at the end, I will give us some, some application pieces. Paul wrote this letter to the church at Ephesus. Uh, Ephesus is a thriving community, a very creative, um, but economically sound community, city, town. They're just brilliant, but they're drawn to worshiping a number of false gods. Uh, then inside of the church, you've got Gentile believers. Those are anyone who is not Jewish, not traditionally a Hebrew Jew. And then you've got Jewish believers, Jewish Christians, and they're trying to figure out how to worship together, and it just hasn't gone well. And so Paul writes this letter from house arrest in Rome, and he's there uh, because the Jews kind of tattletailed, threw a hissy fit, got him thrown into prison because he brought a Gentile believer, Gentile convert, into the Jewish courts of the temple. So Paul's there writing this letter. He spends the first half of the letter talking about doctrine and who God is and what he is like. He has chosen us before the foundation of the world. He has everything to do with our salvation. Um, by grace, we are saved through faith. We are his workmanship, created to do good works that he created beforehand that we might walk in them. Then he shifts to some application. Here, it's going to get very, very uh, application-centric, very, so much so that uh, it might step on our toes a bit this morning. So this is where we're going this morning. Paul's gonna give us some application, but I need to build, again, some stuff behind that just so we understand what's happening. So I don't know if, uh, what you're like when you're driving. Um, when the weather is beautiful, maybe you've experienced that you're going on, maybe it's a road trip, maybe you're just driving to work or taking the kids to school or uh, you're going out to dinner. And if it's beautiful outside, there are times when I arrive somewhere that I have no idea how I got there. I arrived where I meant to go, right? Like I was, I was on my way to work, I was on my way to a ball game, and I got there, but I don't remember anything from the drive. That ever happened to you? Maybe it's a longer road trip, and you're like, this, is, this, is, this can't be safe. I have no idea. I don't, 
I don't know, Elon Musk did not do this for me. I don't know how I got here without even doing anything. But when everything is great, when it's beautiful outside, I am prone to just, I just daydream. I think a little bit. I just drift off into something. I have no idea what I'm thinking about. If we're going together, Meredith and I, and we're going on a road trip, she'll just say, what are you thinking about? And I'll say, I have no idea. I have no idea. I'm thinking about something, but I have no idea what that is. So when the weather is beautiful, I can kind of disengage from driving somehow, uh, and then I end up where it is that I'm going. But it's different when it's foggy outside or when it's just a torrential downpour. Do you notice that? Now everything is, you're hypersensitive to everything. Uh, you see, you try to see as best as you can. You're trying to stay within the lines. You, you're observant of how fast you're going in those moments. Uh, you're paying attention. When things are beautiful and comfortable and calm, it's like we shift into autopilot. But the moment something hits us on our journey, the moment some kind of trouble um, hits us, we seem to lock in a bit more. Well, Paul's gonna handle some of that here. and He's gonna speak specifically of three really regular relationships and interactions we have with people, but he's gonna go after it in a little bit of a different, of a different way. So Ephesians chapter five, let's start in verse 15. I wanna do like 15 through 21 here. We're gonna take a break and then get into chapter six. Ephesians chapter five, verse 15, Paul says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. This word carefully, some of your translations will say circumspectly, which is the idea of a circle or circumference. This is a military term uh, for when someone would call his army to walk circumspectly means to have your head on a swivel. It means to be paying attention, looking around at everything. This is not a call to anxiety. This is a call to awareness. Be aware is what Paul is saying. Walk circumspectly, walk carefully, look carefully then how you walk. And then Paul's gonna tell us another characteristic here, not as unwise, but as wise. So uh, walk carefully, walk with an awareness and do so in wisdom. Verse 16, making the best use of the time or redeeming the time. And then he gives this phrase, because the days are evil. So redeem the time. There's two Greek words for time. Um, one meaning like um, seconds and minutes and hours. That's what it means, time. This word for time means like a set season or a, an era, a period of time. So Paul says, make the best use of your era. Make the best use of this season. Make the best use of this time, the time. Not, hey, make the most of every opportunity. It's in this season, don't waste this season. Make the best use of redeem the time. Why? Because the days are evil. Look back a couple of weeks ago, Paul's always gonna give us a why. He's not just gonna tell us what to do. He's gonna give us a why. And here's why, because the days are evil. Now, this is not talking uh, walking dead, zombies, apocalypse, none of that type of stuff. What he's saying is the days are evil in the same way that Jesus would say um, to focus on today because tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. So let's think about it this way. This is, um, if you've ever been to the beach uh, and there's a current, when you go out to the ocean, there's a strong current. You can feel the current under your, under your feet or into your legs. You can feel the drift. I grew up uh, in Sarasota, Florida, and we went to the beach often, grew up kind of on the beach, and my mom would always say, hey, look for this umbrella, look for this cooler, look for this whatever it is, and that's how we knew as kids where mama was. Now, the current would try to push us. Wherever the current was going, we would push us, but we had to keep our eyes set on where mama was. 
But the moment we stop, the moment we stop paying attention or that we picked our feet up off of the ground or we uh, tried to surf or body surf or whatever it is that we were doing, we would begin to feel the current pushing us. So here's what Paul's saying here in Ephesians 5.16. The days have a current to them. The days have a push. The days have a pull. And the days are not wired to push and pull us. The current is not leading us to Jesus. It's leading us further away from Jesus. There's a current in the ocean of our lives, and it's evil. When we pick our feet up off the ground, when we are no longer anchored, we are no longer stable, uh, the current, the days are evil. They're pushing us further and further away. This is why we must be careful how we walk, because the days are evil. Because the days are not wired. They are not prone to pushing us towards goodness, to the goodness of God. They're prone to pushing us into doubt. They'll push us into um, being disinterested. They'll push us into distraction. Ultimately, they will push us so far away from the umbrella of God's truth that we will wake up one day and think, how did I, I don't know how I got here. How did I get here? And sometimes, even though our eyes are on the umbrella, our feet are not planted, and the evil days, the evil current continues to push us further and further and further away. Because the tactic of the enemy um, is to disinterest us, to make us bored, to make us daydream, to pick up our feet off of the ground and just to be sucked away by the current. And sometimes, depending on the weather, that current is strong. Sometimes it's not quite as strong, and we grow more comfortable in it, but... The days are evil. They are not meant to lead us to Jesus. They are pushing us away from Jesus. And any time the enemy can make us disinterested, he will distract us. And from there, he will destroy us. He will destroy us. So I want us to think here about the war that we are engaged in with the enemy. We'll talk more about it next week from Ephesians 6, that our war battle is not against flesh and blood, but about this powers and principalities I want us to think today about this. In this moment, there is a war going on for your soul and for mine. There's a battle being waged for our souls. And for those of us who, are, who have given our lives to Jesus, the enemy cannot pluck us out of the Father's hand, but he will push us further and further away from his embrace if he can. There's a war going on. Even now in these moments, um, we have been sent into war. We've been sent into battle. And there is a real enemy out to devour us. He is seeking whom he may devour. And the problem for us, I don't think, is, is that um, we are bad people or that we're doing bad things, but I think it's that we actually aren't doing anything. I think for many of us, we've grown bored in our faith. So we show up to church uh, when we can, when the doors are open, as long as we don't have a ball tournament or there's nothing else going on or it wasn't homecoming the night before and, then, and we'll show up. But we're neglecting the fact that there's a war going on for our souls. There's a current pushing us and we are guilty, I am as guilty as anyone of just going on autopilot and I'm getting pushed. The days are evil, the current is evil, it's pushing me away. So Paul continues in verse 17, it says, therefore, because the days are evil, do not be foolish. This word foolish, is not, it's, not, it's not the character on the sitcom that everybody laughs at. Like, it's not, it's not Steve Urkel. Uh, foolish is um, it's the idea that you've lost your senses. You are senseless. You've lost your five senses. 
In other words, you're just floating through life. You don't feel anything, you don't taste anything, you don't smell anything, you can't touch anything. That this is the idea, you don't hear anything. To be foolish is to be senseless. It has no anchor. A fool is someone who has no anchor for his soul. That is a fool. So Paul says, hey, because the days are evil, don't be foolish, don't, don't be senseless. But instead, understand what the will of the Lord is. Now he's gonna explain that a bit more in verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Some of your translations say dissipation. We'll get to that in a second. But be filled with the Holy Spirit. So if we lay verse 18 on top of verse 17, here is what we learn. Being foolish is being drunk with wine. Now, we're in a traditional Baptist church, so I'm sure none of us get drunk with wine. We don't admit that we drink wine. Uh, that's for the Methodists to do. But we, so we read this, we're like, oh, that's, no, that's not me. I would never admit to that. But again, if we lay this on top of verse 17, here's what Paul is saying. The reason people get drunk, the reason you have been drunk before, the reason some of us have been drunk before is because we want to be senseless. The reason to get drunk once you're out of college is to not feel anymore. The reason we give ourselves to alcohol is because we don't want to sense what we're sensing. We want to numb out. That's where the drive for that starts and then it turns into an addiction and all sorts of problems. But this is what Paul's saying, don't get drunk with wine. In other words, don't numb yourself. Don't be foolish. Don't be senseless. So uh, just to make sure we're all covered here, um, some of us may, we, we do get drunk with wine and that's something that we, we have to address, we're gonna have to walk through and deal with. Uh, but many of us, the ways that we numb, because we're, we're good Baptists and we know that we shouldn't um, drink or chew or go, or go with the girls who do, the reason why we, we drift away from that, the other ways that we numb ourselves out are Netflix. We may not get drunk with wine, but we are drunk with binge-watching Netflix or Hulu or Amazon Prime. Uh, maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's your social media. Have you ever noticed when things get intense, when you, things are, are hard in your actual real life, you find yourself into your fake life on social media? And you're just, you're just gonna go for 10 minutes and then two hours pass and you're still scrolling Instagram, seeing the same pictures of the same people with the same fake smiles and the same filter. Maybe it's social media. Maybe it's sports. Maybe it's our kids. We don't wanna feel anymore for ourselves, so we put everything we have into our kids. To avoid what we're feeling in our marriage, to avoid what we're feeling at work, then we pour, we, we disengage from our lives, and now we're all about their lives. Maybe it's work. Uh, maybe it's not alcohol, but maybe it's another sort of drug. Maybe, maybe it's an illegal narcotic, and maybe it's a sleeping pill. Maybe it's too much NyQuil. Maybe it's... Um, maybe it's a pain medicine. Maybe it's some kind of a medication you are using to dull your senses. Here's what Paul is saying. There is a war being waged and we cannot afford to lose our senses. We can't afford it. So don't get drunk with wine. Don't, don't numb out. Don't disengage, Paul is saying, because that is debauchery. That is dissipation. That word just means reckless. It's wasteful. It's wasteful. You can't make the best use of your time while you are wasting your time not being aware. Look carefully how you walk. Be aware, don't be anxious, but be aware. Be aware. And you cannot be aware if you're scrolling social media for two hours a day. 
You cannot be aware if you're drunk on bourbon. You cannot be aware if you're addicted to pornography. You can't, you can't. So don't be foolish. Don't disengage. Don't numb yourself out. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, which means feel more. Don't feel less. Feel more. Feel more. Uh, my, my degree, my undergrad is in counseling. And this is a lot of what is it, we have to teach even teenagers to do is stop trying to feel less and allow yourself to feel more. Feel it. Be grounded and rooted. Feel it. He says to be filled with the Spirit. This is a good use of our time. He's gonna tell us what that looks like in verse 19. When you're filled with the Spirit, we address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Now, this is not a call to make everyday high school musical. This is not cats. This is not, this is not Fiddler on the Roof. This is not what he's talking about. But when we are filled with the Spirit, the way that we address each other sounds like an old hymn. It sounds like scripture. It sounds like worship to people. When we are filled with the Spirit, we are engaging. We aren't being tossed by the current. We are engaging. Verse 20, it also looks like giving thanks which we'll get to do one time this year in a couple weeks. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 21, when you are filled with the Spirit, we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. If you write in your Bible, I would encourage you to. There's no penalty in hell for that. Um, you can write in your Bible. This, this verse here is gonna make sense of everything else that follows. We would give ourselves to each other out of reverence for Christ, our submitting to each other, our outdoing one another with honor, it would say in Hebrews, to honor one another in a way that gives up the good parking lot, gives up the good seat, gives up the good blanket, whatever it is, to submit to one another, but we do so out of reverence for Christ, out of fear for Christ, not out of their behavior, not because they've earned it, but simply because we revere, we honor, we worship the Lord. This is what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. This is why Paul mentions this here. What we're gonna see is to be filled with the Spirit affects every relationship in our lives. Any issues you have had in your marriage, in your parenting, in your upbringing, at work or at school, I guarantee you comes from places where you were not filled with the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit impacts us relationally. Okay, so now we're gonna shift here into chapter six. And this is where, uh, if we're not reading this in context, this becomes a lot like a self-help instead of gospel-centered biblical teaching. We can learn a lot about marriage, we can learn a lot about parenting, and we can learn a lot about leadership and work if we pull this out of context. And there are plenty of books written on those three topics. You can find those anywhere. Walmart, Target, Amazon, wherever books are sold, you can find those. But this call is different than that. This is rooted in the context of this church at Ephesus that's fighting to maintain the unity of the Spirit. And it's interesting, Paul doesn't speak here about the Jews and the Gentiles. He's gonna go after our most regular relationships. He's gonna go after the things that we deal with every single day. Because this is where we get bored. Uh, we don't get bored in the miraculous. We get bored in the mundane. We don't get bored uh, once a year. We get bored the other 364 days. 
We don't get bored on a Friday, we get bored on a Tuesday. So Paul now is going to put these three relationships in context of what he's been teaching. So I wanna just ask us for a few things. First of all, um, be present right here and right now today. Um, What's going to happen if you're like me and you've got some stuff in your past that when we begin teaching on this, the enemy is going to reveal, bring all those things back up to the surface for you. The ways that you haven't been a good husband, you haven't been a good wife, you failed the Lord, you failed your family, uh, you failed your boss, whatever that's gonna begin to rise to the surface because we are at war. Be here today. There's nothing we can do about our past, nothing we can do about it. All we have is today. And we can't dream about, well, I'll do it differently in the future. All we have is today. Secondly, I want to encourage you, make this personal. Uh, This is about you, not your spouse. Because you're going to get a lot of ammunition for your spouse this morning. (laughs) Did you hear what he said? You're going to get ammunition for your kids. You're going to get ammunition for your parents. You're going to get ammunition for your boss. You're going to get ammunition for your employees. This is not about them today. This is about you. This is about me. This is, this, is, this is not a way that we then just pack our tool bag and pack our, our weaponry so we can attack. This is about us today. And thirdly is this. Um, guilt and shame are demonic. They are works of the enemy. They are not work of the Holy Spirit. If you feel guilt this morning in the name of Jesus, you denounce that guilt right now. Guilt is not of the Lord. He does not desire to remind you of your sin that he might push you further into darkness. The desire of the Lord and his compassion and grace is that he would shine light on your sin that he might draw you into the light. Guilt and shame are works of the enemy and they are his most prized possession. Don't let him wield that against you this morning. Are you with me? This is not a place of guilt and shame. This is a place of freedom and forgiveness and presence this morning. We're gonna talk marriage and we're gonna talk parenting and we're gonna talk our employment. It's important we do so here this morning. These relationships, are, it's where it's easy to shift into autopilot. Uh, how many of you have been married for more than 10 years? More than 15 years? More than 20 years? 30 years? 40 years? 50 years? Man, that's awesome. I think we all can agree it's easy to shift into autopilot in our marriages. Is, is it not? Because every day you wake up next to the same person. And it's the same person. Only it's not the same person because 10 years ago they were a different person. But now it's the same person. It's just easy to shift into autopilot. It's easy to shift into autopilot in our parenting and in our, in our child, um, childhood, child rearing. It's easy to become that. So we have to shift away from that this morning. Because what happens is, because we get bored, we look for quick fixes. Because we get bored, we get distracted by cheap substitutes that leave us less satisfied and more disinterested than we were before. Again, this is not a call to fix your marriage. This is not a call to be a better parent. This is not a call to be a better boss or a better employee. This is a call to depend on the grace of Jesus Christ today. Today. Can we move forward? Ephesians chapter five, you've heard this at every wedding you've ever been to. Ephesians chapter five, uh, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So whenever scripture uh, speaks of marriage, uh, scripture always refers to the wife first, which is interesting. 
but the wife is always the one appealed to first. So wives, women who desire to be married, please hear this. Um, You set the temperature in your home. Husbands, this is not a call for you then to try to fix the thermostat. That's not not what I'm saying. Uh, The wife, you're appealed to first because of the power you have. Um, Husbands, if you're bold enough to be vulnerable enough, you would admit that nobody's words have the power in your life that your wife's words do. The looks she gives you mean more, hurt more, empower more than anyone else's in the world. So Paul here is gonna speak to the wife. Wives, or women who are married, submit to your own, I love that word, own husbands. Um, You're not called to submit to everyone's husband. Men, uh, to your own husband. Uh, Submission is the idea of rank. It has nothing to do with aptitude and it has nothing to do with ability. It has to do with rank and how God set the home up. This has nothing to do with your ability, but everything to do with God's design of the family. Wives, submit to your own husbands, and this is important. Circle this, highlight this, memorize this, as to the Lord. Verse 15, or 22. Paul is not saying submit to your husband as if he is the Lord, because we know he's not. We know he's not. And many of you wives, even if you were married to the Lord, you'd still complain anyway. So it doesn't really matter. We can't make you happy. Uh, submit as to the Lord. What this, this is covenant language. This is important. This is covenant language. You are making a covenant to the Lord. You will submit to him, not because he's good, not because he's worthy, but because you love the Lord, because God has called you to. Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. This is a covenant. This is one-sided. 23. For the husband is the head of the wife. Again, this is not about authority. This is not about control. This is about rank and responsibility. Husbands have a responsibility of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself his, its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, this is verse 24, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. This is the call on the wife, on the woman who is married, to submit to her husband as to the Lord. So wives, you get three verses. Husbands, we get a lot more than that. That's the call. Now, Paul's gonna summarize this as respect. So if you're writing, taking notes, the wife, the call of the wife is to respect her husband. And please hear me. This, this, is, this is not about you having a healthy marriage or having a thriving marriage. This is about you having a wartime marriage. The reason Paul calls, or God through Paul calls the wife to submit to her husband has nothing to do with your happiness and everything to do with the battle being waged for the souls of you and your husband, your children, your family, and everyone you come in contact with. Why should you submit to your husband? Because there's a war going on. And when you don't, you are, uh, you are prey victim to the, the, the current of evil of the day. Submit to our husbands because it roots us, it grounds us. In the truth of the Lord. Submit uh, to your husbands. Verse 25. Husbands, though, love your wives. It's interesting that God has to command us to love our wives. This word is agape. It's an unconditional, self-sacrificing, never-ending, never-giving-up kind of love. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. This is more covenant language. And he gave himself up for her. Heard this phrase a number of years ago, and it's kind of stuck with me. 
Uh, boy goes down, girl goes free. Husbands, here's, here's our call. is to lay down our lives for our family, for our wives in particular. We take the bullets. We take the bullets. We take the gossip. We take the slander. We take the, the pain. We take it. As, the, as Christ loved the church, the husband then gave himself up for her. Boy goes down, the girl goes free. For this reason, though, that he might sanctify her, that's to make her holy, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Husbands, you have a calling in your life to help the sanctification of your wife through the washing of water with the word, which means this. If you are not in the word, you cannot wash your wife with the word. We've got to be men of the Bible. We've got to be men who are reading and who are studying, who are listening. We have to be. Verse 27, so that he, Christ, might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Um, we are presenting our wives to the Lord. Verse 28, in the same way then, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. It's interesting that Paul doesn't call a wife to love her husband the way a wife loves her own body because women don't love their bodies the way that men love our bodies. Uh, we can look at our beer belly and think it's the sexiest thing we've ever seen. And then a wife, our wives gain five pounds and can't believe they've, what they've given themselves over to. We are called to love our wives as ourselves. 29, no one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes and cherishes it. You wanna know what love looks like? Love looks like nourishing and cherishing. This is what love looks like. Nourish and cherish. Uh, nourishing is, is feeding and developing, growing. Cherishing is the way that you would protect a treasure, just as Christ does the church, more covenant language. Verse 30, because we are members of his body. Then verse 31, Paul's gonna reference back to Genesis. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. 32, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Now, I wanna put this in context of Ephesians. Earlier on in chapters one through three, whenever Paul talked about a mystery, he talked about the mystery of the church of Jews and Gentile believers. You remember that? The mystery is that the Gentiles are given access to the throne of God. That was the mystery. Paul now is kind of taking a break here. and He's going back to that old thought. When God called the man to leave his father and mother, to leave his old family behind and to cleave or hold fast to his wife, this was foreshadowing of what God was going to do with the Gentiles. That he would unite them. It's, it's a, a mystery. So men... We have to leave behind what we once were in order to become what we are now with our wife. I'm no longer Vicky's son and Jim's son. I'm Meredith's husband. That's priority, that is preeminent. To leave behind father and mother. And wives, the calling is the same for you to leave behind what you once were to fully embrace what you now are. Because we are at war. 
This is not about you having a happy marriage. This is not about you enjoying your sex life. Not what this is about. This is about the gospel going forth. It's about souls of men and women that hang in the balance. And please hear this. One of the most powerful weapons we as married people have is our marriage. Not that it will be perfect, but that it will be a picture of the gospel. Your marriage is not perfect Neither is mine, but by the grace of God, may our marriages be examples of the good news of the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Which means our first response in conflict is, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. Let's figure this out. It's the steadfast love of the gospel. Verse 33, however, Paul's gonna summarize it all, all of it, so I could have just done this instead of wasting your time. Verse 33, however, let each one of you husbands love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Again, this is not a call to a thriving marriage. This is not, hey, go have more date nights. This is not, hey, set your budget in such a way or make sure you give her these things on these anniversaries or make sure you always give her flowers or don't forget this. This is not what this is. This is for the sake of the souls of you and your spouse, your children, your parents, your grandparents, and everyone you'll come in contact with. Your marriage matters. Again, not a call to anxiety, but a call to awareness. Then he's gonna shift in chapter six. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. And all the parents said, amen, amen. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. That phrase, in the Lord, is covenant language. Don't obey your parents because they're smarter than you. Don't obey your parents because they're wiser than you. Don't obey your parents because they're good people. Not obey your parents because if you don't, they might beat you. It's obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. This is holy. This is true. This is righteous. This is fitting behavior. Uh, Paul is assuming that parents are teaching their children things. Now, thousands of years ago, that wasn't a stretch of the imagination. The only way children would know anything was through their parents. When I challenge us as parents um, in our culture today, be the primary teacher of your children. Be the loudest voice in the room. You cannot allow um, them to run to Google and YouTube and friends and teachers and influencers. You have to have, be giving them something worthy of obedience. I think many of our kids say, obey your parents and Lord. Obey, they haven't told me to do anything. Obey what? Children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. If there are any kids, children, students here this morning, here's what you need to hear. In your obedience to your parents, you are waging war against the enemy. It's not about you making your parents happy. It's not about you making their lives easy. This is about the gospel. This is about the, the current that's pushing us away. And when you firmly establish your feet in the gospel expressed by your obedience to your parents, do you know that you are changing your family? You have the power to shape the trajectory of your family simply through obedience. Obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Verse two, honor your father and mother. This goes back to Exodus. This is the first commandment with a promise. Verse three continues that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land. 
Verse four, now fathers, really parents, but fathers in particular, do not provoke your children to anger. Don't push their buttons. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord because there's a war being waged for the souls of your kids. And when we shift into autopilot, this becomes more about my comfort and my, as a dad, my comfort, my satisfaction. I wanna sit here and watch the football game, shut your mouth and go outside and ride your bike. I don't understand what the problem is. We provoke our children when we take our eyes off of the mission, when we grow comfortable, when we seek our own comfort and satisfaction, and we're not seeking the good gospel, we're not seeking the souls of our children, we provoke them to anger. Instead, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is not a call to anxiety, this is a call to awareness. So sure, let them play ball, let them play football, let them play soccer, let them cheerlead, let them do gymnastics, let them play the piano. Do all of those things, but you have a responsibility as a parent, as a father, in a time of war for the souls of your children to give them the worship of God and not the worship of baseball. It's war for your kids. And you've been tasked with their nourishment. You've been tasked with their discipline and instruction. You can bring them here to church. You can um, put them under our um, amazing youth pastors. You can do those things, but you also in your home must be praying with them. If you don't know how to teach them the Bible, maybe just pray with them. Maybe read it together. Finally, uh, verses five through nine. I'll be quick here. Bond servants. Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Underline that phrase, as you would Christ. This is covenant language. In our work opportunities, uh, we are to work as if we are working to the Lord. And I love that Paul says, with a sincere heart. Because I'll do all the fear and trembling. I'm just not going to mean it. As employees, because there's a war for the souls of our coworkers, we must be people who work with a sincere heart. Verse six, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ. There's that language again, as servants of Christ, not as an employee of that law firm, not as an employee of that school, but as a servant of Christ. You have a higher boss, a higher sovereign than your manager or your boss. It's the Lord. Verse seven, a rendering service with goodwill, ask the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Verse nine, masters, bosses, managers, do the same to your employees. Stop your threatening, because that's a default. Do this or you're fired. Has the Lord ever dealt with you in that way? knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. Let me quickly wrap this up and give us some application. Give us three different words and these are levels by which we handle our, our relationships. Consumption, contract, and covenant. There are two of these are what we shift to in the current of the days of evil. And one is the one that we cling to when we realize there's a war being waged for our soul. So when it comes to work or for students, when it comes to your school, we often approach our work um, places, our work people, our coworkers, our, our teachers, our classmates in a means of consumption. What do you have for me? What do you have to offer me? 
When we become frustrated, um, frustrated and discouraged and disappointed in people because they haven't met our expectations, we are living under the guise of consumption. We have given our lives to the, the evil days and the current of evil that's pushing us away from the Lord. Consumption. Are you in a place of consumption at your workplace? The second one is contract, which feels a lot better, but actually isn't what God has called us to do. Contract is, hey, if you do this, then I will do my part. Hey, boss, if you were a good boss, I will work hard for you. If you're clear on the expectations, I will meet them for you. But the moment I find a loophole, I'm out. That's contract. You do your part, I'll do mine. Covenant is, I'm not working for you anyway. I'm working for the Lord. And he has way higher expectations than you do. That's at school and at work. What about in our parenting and in our um, childhoods? Well, consumption is I exist to get what I can from you. Children, hear me in this, please. Students, hear me in this. You are prone to consume from your parents. From the moment you were born, you had nothing to offer us, and you literally sucked life out of, our children, out of us. There has to come a point where you grow out of consumption. And your parents are not just the means by which you get satisfaction, the means by which you get uh, contentment and joy. Parents, we are the worst at this. We consume from our children. Whether we consume um, their dreams because we never met ours. Uh, we consume their calendars because we're bored with ours. We consume their happiness and their joy because we're not content with the Lord's for us. We were consuming from them. Secondly, the contract. You do your part, I'll do mine. This happens all the time in families. As long as you do yours, then I'll do mine. I think there's some teaching there. That's totally fine. There's ways to bring up a child in discipline that, hey, if you don't do your part, you don't get this. If you fail here, you don't get these things. But that can never be contractual about your love. Never. Never. As long as you're a good kid, you'll know I love you. The moment you get an A minus, you will feel the wrath of contract. Covenant begins with this language I'm not going anywhere. You can tell me the truth. I'm not going anywhere. I'm with you and I am for you. I'm not going anywhere. Um, covenants allow us to be honest, they allow us to call each other out, and they allow us to find our satisfaction and our wholeness not in each other but in God. And parents, maybe you've found your satisfaction. Maybe um, your children have completed you. That's dangerous territory because they will let you down and they will keep letting you down. Finally, in our marriages, have we become consumers in our marriage in ways that um, you exist for my good? You exist for me dinner on the table and a clean house and a good sex life. You exist uh, to make me feel safe and secure. You exist to pay my bills. You exist to make sure that the life insurance is paid up. Sometimes it's a contract. Hey, I'll take care of this as long as you take care of that. But the moment you stop taking care of that, I'm going to drop my end of the deal. It's interesting when um, you go to a wedding and you hear the vows. The vows are, you know, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, uh, to death do us part. 
That's covenant language. That's I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. What it means is if the worst possible thing happens, I'm not going anywhere. If you break every single one of these vows, I'm committed to the Lord anyway. But can you imagine uh, going to a wedding and hearing contract vows instead of covenant vows? Where the wife says, I'm with you as long as your salary does not dip below 65,000 a year. And the husband says, that's great. As long as you stay this weight the rest of our marriage. I mean, how sweet is that? But marriage is a covenant. I'm not going anywhere. So here's the thing. You, you, whenever you current sweeps you away, you can't swim against the current to get back there. So many of us have sensed, hey, we're far away from where we need to be. The evil has led us away, and so we're trying to get back, but we're just swimming. We're just doing the same thing the opposite direction. What you're learning is you're not getting anywhere swimming. You're not getting anywhere with more date nights. You're not getting anywhere with, with reading different books. You're not getting anywhere with reading parenting books and trying to nurture your kids better. You're not getting anywhere with that, and here's why. Because you've got to put your feet down. Put your feet down. Anchor your soul in the good news of the gospel of Jesus, and then we can start working our way back. For some of us today, it's is your day to put your feet down. The days are evil, they've pushed, and you're trying to swim back against them. It's time to put your feet down, and hear me in this. This starts today. All you have is today. You can do it now. Husbands, look at me. You can do this. You can love your wife well. You can do it. I don't care that you never saw it happen in your family. You can do it today for your wife and your family for the sake of the gospel today. You can do it. You're a soldier at war and your family is depending on you not to be a provider, not to pay the bills, but to lead your home in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It's time you stop being swept away by the current and you put your foot down today, today, and wives, you can respect your husband today. No, he doesn't deserve it. None of us deserve it. But ask to the Lord. And here's what you will see, wife. When you begin to affirm and encourage and respect your husband, you're gonna fall back in love with the man you never knew you had before because you set the temperature in your home. So I'm gonna pray. We wanna... Um, just honor Daryl for 20 years of service here at Sharon, but I wanna give us a chance. If you'll bow your heads and close your eyes. And all, all we have is today. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. Yesterday's in the past. You can't fix that. But maybe it's time, um, I just wanna speak to marriages right now. Maybe it's time that you, husband, look at your wife and you say, I'm sorry. It was a covenant when we started think it became a contract and now I think I'm just consuming. Please forgive me. My feet are going down on the firm ground of the earth today and we're going to walk our way back together. And you can find a spot in this room to do it. You can come up to this, these steps and this altar to do that, but don't wait. Don't wait. All you have is now. Redeem the time. Make the best use of this season and this time. And wives, maybe for you, maybe you need to pull your husband aside and say, I need to confess I'm sorry but the only way confession works is with covenant. 
and you say, I'm not going anywhere. I don't care. I'm not going anywhere. I'm with you and I'm for you. Uh, maybe mamas and dads, you need to get your kids and say, hey, listen, in this season, it's been stressful at work and I, I have allowed the evil of the day to push me away from loving you with a covenantal love and I'm sorry. And maybe it's time for an email to your boss. There's a war going on for souls. We don't have time to waste. Uh, this morning, there's been a war going on for some of our souls for the first time to step into covenant with Jesus. A God who, even though no human has ever said this to you, a God who sent his son to die on the cross for you, to give his life for you, to say to you, I don't care what you've done, I love you and I'm not going anywhere. There's nothing you can do to run away from me and to lose this and to lose my love. There's nothing, I'm not going anywhere. Maybe this morning you need to give your life to Jesus. I'd love for you to, at this some point, come have a conversation with us altar is open. I'm going to pray. Please feel free. I know we're going to honor Daryl, and Daryl, he would say this 100%. Don't miss an opportunity to be obedient to the gospel because you're worried about honoring him. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the good, powerful news of the gospel that's better than anything we ever imagined. It's better than self-help. It's better than a healthy marriage and healthy kids and strong kids. And it's better than that. It's better than more money. It's better than more strategy. It's better than advancing up the ladder. The gospel is better. It's more powerful. And God, we have uh, settled for smaller goals. We've settled for smaller battles than the one true battle for our souls. And so God, we apologize. We confess. Would you raise up in us Marriages as imperfect as we've ever seen, but centered on the good news of the steadfast love of the gospel of Jesus Christ that declares to the world that there is a God who doesn't leave when things get tough, who doesn't leave when his, our backs are turned on him, but he is faithful and true. We rise up families who are centered on the gospel and workplaces centered on the gospel that we might see this place explode with kingdom-centered children of God. Lord, we love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.